Tonight, we're, we're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 10. And uh, this week, as I studied and prepared for this passage, one word really stuck out. One word that in 2 Corinthians 10 through 12 is actually used 19 times. And that is the word for boast or brag. That's because in Corinth, to boast or to brag was more than just common. It was expected and encouraged. If you were super intelligent, you were supposed to brag about it. If your child was a great athlete or talented in some area, you should brag about it. If your grandchildren were really good looking, you were expected to boast about it. In Corinth, people, people would have blow, been blowing up their Instagram accounts. The Facebook and Twitter servers would have been overwhelmed. Of course, no one in our culture really brags about their children's accomplishments uh, they don't brag about how talented and cute their grandchildren are. Uh, they don't boast about the great vacation that they just took or what awesome thing that their spouse just did for them, do they? Well, maybe just a little bit. See, bragging and boasting is very common in our world today. For example, I don't know how many of you have uh, seen ESPN's recent ranking of the top NBA players of all time. They went and they ranked the top 74 NBA basketball players. The top 10 list, in case you haven't heard, and I realize most of you probably don't care, um, begins with, at uh, number 10 was Shaquille O'Neal. Number 9 was Kobe Bryant. Number 8 was Tim Duncan. Number 7 was Larry Bird. Number 6 was Wilt Chamberlain. Number 5, Magic Johnson. Number 4, Bill Russell. Number 3, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. And of course, number one and two are really hotly disputed, but coming in at number two was LeBron James, making the number one top player, NBA player of all time, the great Michael Jordan. And of course, this was quite controversial. And perhaps it's just because there are no other sports to talk about right now, but there were news articles, there were TV talk shows, there were online talk shows, radio talk shows, all upset with one another because each one arguing who they thought should be on the list and, of course, who they thought was the GOAT, the acronym for the greatest of all time. For each athlete, they would list all of their accomplishments. They would list the years they played, the points per game that they averaged, the, the rebounds per game, the assists per game, the number of all-star game appearances, the, the number of MVP awards, and, of course, the number of championships that they took their team to. Each person would boast about the player that they thought was the best and why. And I'm sure this same discussion takes place around other sports, other arenas, other areas where, whether it be the best actor or actress or the person who's the wealthiest in the world or the person that has the fanciest house or the nicest car, you, you name it, there has been or probably is or will be a discussion or argument bragging about who is the greatest. The strange thing about Paul in this Corinthian culture, though, was what he chose to brag about. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, 21 to 28, But whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I'm speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? 
So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I am talking like a madman with far greater labors, far, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews for the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, Danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. How would you like to have that list on your resume? And then he tells us in verse 30 what it is that he is willing to boast about. He says in verse 30, If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. And if all that didn't show Paul's weakness enough, he points out in verses 32 to 33 that in verse 32 he says that Damascus, the governor under King Eratos, was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me. But I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. See, soldiers receive awards when they're the first one to attack the wall and go up during the daytime. But Paul, out of fear of the king, escapes Damascus through a window in a basket at night. Once again, showing his weakness. Now the translated word for weakness is used 44 times in the New Testament. It's used many times throughout the Gospels and the book of Acts. And it's, it's used to refer to various types of physical weaknesses, such as sickness, disease, and other disabilities. It's used 14 times in 2 Corinthians 10 through 13. And there, there also refers to situational weakness. Something that other people have done to make you be weak. Uh, circumstances that cause you to struggle and even emotional weakness. And we'll see and a little bit more specifically, what weaknesses Paul was referring to for himself. Now, this obviously would have been completely countercultural for Paul to say and to do this. But as he listed in 2 Corinthians 11, 21 through 28, Paul had incredible struggles and great difficulties as a Christian. What Paul is going to teach us tonight is how we should handle the struggles and difficulties that God brings into our lives. His teaching should help us understand and think about the weaknesses that God brings into our lives. How many times have you spoken with someone who said something along along the lines of, well, if, if God really loved Christians so much, then why would he allow them to get sick or die? Well, how do you answer that question about other people's suffering? How do you answer that question when it is about your suffering or the suffering of a believer that you love. See, tonight we need to have a Christian understanding of suffering and weakness. Because if we don't, it can derail our faith, or the faith of those who love us when we do face suffering and weakness. And so tonight we're going to look at three truths about suffering. 
And if you're not there already, please turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 10. The first truth about suffering that we're going to look at is, is first of all, God has purpose in our suffering. God has purpose in our suffering. Verse 7 says, So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Paul tells us that God's purpose and his suffering was to keep him humble. You might say, what? The great apostle Paul had a problem with pride? Well, notice back in verses 1 through 5, after writing uh, in 11, 21 through 28 about his heritage and all the struggles and weaknesses he dealt with, he wrote, I must go on boasting, though there is nothing to be gained by it. I will go on to uh, visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I will not boast, except of my weaknesses. See, Paul doesn't even say his name directly or say directly that it was him that had these awesome revelations from God. And yet, in the Corinthian culture, that would have been something that he should have boasted about. Those, those kinds of revelations from God was something that would have been impressive to those that he told. And so Paul writes in verse 7, So to keep me from becoming conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming Conceded. Paul wrote that to, to keep him from becoming full of pride, a thorn was given to him in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass him. Now, we're not told exactly what that means, but note that it says it was a thorn in the flesh. And so I think it was something physical that he struggled with. In fact, look at Galatians chapter 4, verses 13 through 15. It says, You know that it was because of a body ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that, if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Paul speaks of a bodily ailment and how it was a trial to the people. He also mentions in verse, verse 15 that they would have gouged out their very eyes and given them to him. And so most commentators surmise that he had some great difficulty with his eyes that not only affected his, his ability to see, but it also affected his appearance so that it made it difficult for people to even look at him. So people also think that this may be why he had so many people with him on his travels, including Luke, who was a doctor. In fact, look at, look at Galatians chapter 6, verse 11 says, See with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. In other words, because his vision was so bad, his writing was very large. Because Paul normally had a helper to write his letters for him, because, probably because of this very problem. And so, as you can imagine, Paul must have been ridiculed by the Corinthians about this. 
he and the other apostles were used to heal many people, yet Paul was not healed himself. Paul had such great visions and revelations from God, and yet he had such problems with his eyesight. So why did God allow Paul, the great apostle Paul, who did so much and accomplished so much for him, to be afflicted in this way? Well, verse, says, verse 7 says it was to keep him from becoming proud, to keep him from taking credit for what God was doing through him. Because one thing that becomes clear throughout the scripture is that God hates pride. God hates pride. Throughout the Bible, we've seen God deal with the pride of various people. In the book, in the book of Daniel, we see King Nebuchadnezzar was sent to eat and live like an animal for seven years because of his pride. We see in the book of Esther that Haman, because of his pride, was hung from the gallows that he had built for Mordecai. Pride was even a struggle for Jesus' disciples, who argued over who would be the second in his kingdom. And, of course, it was Satan's great pride that caused his downfall and got him cast out of God's presence. Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 through 19 lists Six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. And at the top of the list is haughty eyes or pride. See, in pride, people want to take the glory that belongs to God. But as we see throughout Scripture, God will not share his glory with others. So we see that God's purpose in, God, in Paul's suffering and weakness was to keep him humble. Secondly, we also see that God provides power in our suffering. God provides power in our suffering. We see in verses 8 and 9, Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. We see earlier in verse 2 that it was 14 years prior that he had this vision, a revelation of the third heaven, and subsequently was given the thorn to be kept humble. And in verse 8, we just read that he pleaded with the Lord three different times about this, that this weakness, that this, this suffering, this great, awful problem with his eyes, that, that it would be over, that it would be taken away from him. And so please don't misunderstand today that Paul is not saying that we should all desire to have great weakness and suffering in our lives. He's not saying that Paul didn't want this weakness or this suffering, and apparently over this 14-year period of time, pleaded with Jesus that it would go away. And Paul is not alone in this. In Matthew 26, we see that Jesus also pleaded with God the Father that if there were any other way other than the extreme suffering on the cross, that he could avoid that. But Paul, just like Jesus, was willing to submit to the Father's will in their suffering. See, it's not wrong for us to pray for healing. It's not wrong for us to plead with God for an end to suffering. But we do need to realize that God has purpose in our suffering. And that just like Paul, God's grace is sufficient to help us through our times of weakness. Paul explains that for us a little bit more in Philippians chapter 4, verses 12 through 14, where it reads, I know how both to make do with little, and I know how to have an abundance. In everything and in all things, I have learned the secret both to be filled and to be hungry, 
both to have an abundance and to go without. I am able to do all things by the one who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well by sharing with me in my affliction. Now, Philippians chapter 4, verse 13 is often misquoted to support the thinking that God will help us to do whatever we want him or whatever we want to do. But what are the all things that Paul is able to do because of God strengthening him? Verse 12 tells us that he is able to deal with the struggles of having a lot and not having enough in life. God strengthened him to be able to do this. And the same grace of God that strengthened Paul is the grace that has strengthened believers throughout history to be able to handle suffering and weakness. In fact, we see in the Bible that God loves and chooses to use the weak and the powerless in the world. It's quite the opposite from what, how we choose teams at recess or in the business world or oftentimes even in, in the ministry world. In the Bible, God chose to use Abraham, who was to be the father of many nations, and yet he didn't even have a child until he was 100 years old and his wife was 90. Joseph, God chose to become a great leader in Egypt and to save his family and many others. But before that, he was sold into slavery by his brothers, used and abused, thrown into prison until God chose to raise him up. God chose to use Moses to lead his people out of Israel in an incredible way. But Moses admitted that he was not a good speaker and, in fact, begged God to choose someone else and reluctantly ended up obeying God to do that. God chose to use David to become a great king of Israel, but before that, he was just a lowly shepherd, not even respected by his own family. He chose to use Gideon to lead God's people to an incredible victory over the Midianites. But yet we know that he was a scaredy cat, hiding away when God called him to lead his people. And near in history, God chose to use Charles Spurgeon, used by God to preach to thousands weekly. In fact, his, his sermons being distributed to hundreds of thousands around the world, yet who in weakness struggled throughout his life with depression. God chose to use Johnny Erickson Tata, used with her, uh, her disability to minister to millions, and yet has been a quadriplegic, paralyzed from the shoulders down since she was 18 years old even struggling with thoughts of suicide and depression for many years until God turned her heart around. And here at Faith Baptist Church, God chose to use many people who struggled in a variety of ways with their weaknesses. We heard testimony tonight from Chrissy and from Alyssa. And I think of Sandy Steele, who is near to her home going now, but throughout her life has had many, many physical struggles, and yet has served and was at every service faithfully she could could be at without complaint. I think of Ben Backus, who for years struggled with chronic back pain and yet served faithfully without complaint. And so many, many others that I could mention um, who have served faithfully in our church for so many years. See, because God loves to use those who are weak because, as it says in verse 9, God's power is made perfect in weakness. Now, the word translated perfect uses the same root word Christ uttered on the cross, recorded for us in John 19, verse 30, when he said, It is finished. 
In other words, God's power is made complete or finished. God's power is fully demonstrated in our weakness because it is his power that is put on display and not ours. See, when God's power is showcased, he receives the glory and not us. And not only does God have purpose in our suffering and provide power in our suffering, but lastly, he gives us the right perspective on our suffering in verses 9 and 10. He gives us the right perspective on our suffering. Verses 9 and 10 read, Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul gives us three concluding thoughts in the second half of of verse 9 and verse 10, all set off by the words, therefore and for. The first thing he concludes in verse 9, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Paul said, I'm going to speak loudly of my struggles and my weaknesses and my problems so that Christ's power can reside on me. His second conclusion is in the beginning of verse 10. He says, for the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. Paul says that for for fulfilling Christ's purpose in his life and in this world, he chose to be content while dealing with all of those struggles in life that he listed out that are so numerous. And then his final conclusion at the end of verse 10, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul says that contrary to everything we experience in this world, our weakness demonstrates Christ's strength in us. See, everywhere it seems in our world, it's one or the other. It's you're weak or you're strong. And for the most part, people always want to be strong. They want power. They never want weakness. But Paul said he had both. For when he was at his weakest, God's power was the greatest. So Paul had to get on his knees many times. And after struggling with this for many, many years, and after talking with God about his problems, he finally got this perspective. And because of that, he was able to be a great example of Jesus to those around him. And if I had to put it into a mathematical formula tonight, it would be more weakness equals more power equals more glory to God. Now, this this message is the opposite of anything that you'll ever hear in the world today. But let me tell you, we need to get this message down now. We need to understand this. We need to grasp this. We need to remember this in our hearts and our mind before we find ourselves in the midst of the struggle. So that when, not if, but when we find ourselves weak, we will be ready to display God's power and grace in our lives. Let's pray and ask God to do to help us to be able to do just that. Father, we do thank you and, and praise you for uh, the great examples that you've given us throughout history of believers whose lives demonstrated such great struggle and weakness and sickness and illness, and yet 
through their weakness, your grace and, uh, was made evident and your strength was shown and displayed and you received such great glory for their lives. We thank you for the examples, the many, many, many examples throughout the history of Faith Baptist of people who struggled and struggled and struggled. Many people that didn't even know publicly about those struggles and yet served faithfully, and and your power was made evident in their lives. And so, Father, we do pray for those that today are dealing with weakness and struggles and hardship, that you might help them, help them to see and understand your purpose in their suffering, that they might understand and receive and uh, understand your, your power in their suffering and have the right perspective and, and help each one of us, Lord, as we know that it's, it is in your plan and your will for our lives to often, as it was for Paul's life, for you to bring suffering and weakness into our lives. Not to hurt us, but to help us. To help us to be used by you to show your power and your grace and your mercy and, and, your, and provide and demonstrate your glory throughout the world and in our lives. But to, in order, we know that in order to do this, we need your help. So we do that tonight. We ask for your help. Help us to be so focused in seeing you clearly that when we face suffering, when we face weakness, when our loved ones face weakness, we might fully rely upon you and your grace and your power might be made evident so that you might receive the glory. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.